To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So today on the podcast, I have on my buddy, Sean Kern. Uh, so Sean resides in Hawaii, and the guy absolutely lives for adventure and for hunting elk. So uh, he came out, he did two different states this year. He did a hunt in New Mexico, drew a tag down there. We talk about that in the podcast, and then came up and spent some time with me up here in Montana. And we just had an awesome hunt up here in Montana, and so we kind of talk about that. Uh, but he's just got great insight into uh, elk hunting public lands. He's been doing it now for years. Uh, tons of hunting experience throughout Hawaii and uh, traveled to Alaska and uh, it's been a bunch of different places. So it just made for a fascinating conversation. Uh, I love this guy. I love having him on the podcast. We'll get right into it. I just want to thank a quick sponsor. I want to thank Savage. Savage makes great rifles with out-of-the-box accuracy. Uh, they're just absolutely amazing. I love that new 110 Ultralight. Uh, the rifle comes in at under six pounds. It's got a carbon fiber wrapped stainless steel barrel on it. Uh, it's got uh, a adjustable comb height, adjustable length of pole. Uh, it's got an accu trigger in it that'll go from 1.5 to 4 pounds that you can adjust yourself. So you don't have to take it to a gunsmith. Uh, they're just building the best rifles out there. Great mountain rifles. That 110 Ultralight comes in a 308, uh, 6.5, which I have a new 6.5 that I built up uh, that's super cool that I'm going to use, um, have my girls use it and uh, anybody I'm hunting with. And um, if I take up wolf hunting or something like that, um, definitely be using that thing. But the thing is just an absolute shooter. I just can't believe like the the, the groups that I get. Um, you know, and I, I didn't have to try a bunch of different loads with it or a bunch of different ammo. It seemed like uh, the the first ammo I chose just got along good with that rifle. So just really well-built rifles that are made for accuracy. Uh, you can't go wrong with a Savage. So if you're in the market for a new rifle, make sure to go check them out. They have a bunch of different models in a bunch of different price points. Like I say, I love that. That new 110 Ultralight is just an amazing mountain rifle. So thanks to Savage for their support of the podcast. Over at Eastman's, um, we got some good Beyond the Grids hitting. I think, um, I think I'm going to have a good um, November hunt from last year that's going to come out. I haven't uh, seen it yet or seen the edit on it yet, but uh, hunting with my buddy Dan and my buddy Dylan. We're hunting with bows, and um, you know those two guys uh, were able to arrow bucks. Um, and, and then I arrowed a buck late, uh, should make for a great video. I didn't get, um, uh, my kill shot on film. I was out hunting with my dad, but did get the recovery and then got those guys's, but it's just, um, you know, we went back like multiple different trips and we backpacked into some remote country and should just make for an awesome video. So I can't wait to see it. That'll be coming out here shortly. Uh, I do have a, a backcountry hunt from Nevada that I did see the edit on. That'll be coming out. So you can look for us on uh, Beyond the Grid on YouTube. Just search Eastman's Hunting TV and it'll come up. You can also set your DVRs for new episodes on the Outdoor Channel. And um, make sure to check out our magazines. 
got that promo code elevated three two one that'll get you both magazines for fifty dollars and an outdoor edge knife. I uh, just love reading the subscriber stories. Uh, that last issue, my buddy Dylan was in for a great bowl that he arrowed last year. Just did a got a great spread and did a great job on that story. Super proud of him. But I love reading the subscriber stories. Uh, Dan. Um, Oh my gosh, <laughs> Dan Picard. I've got too many buddies named Dan, so when I when I go for to pull one out of my hat, sometimes I I second guess myself. But uh, Dan Picard, a uh, good buddy of mine, I really like that guy. Uh, he writes a bunch of um, the articles in the Bow Hunting Journal as well, and he had two in there that were great articles in the last Bow Hunting Journal. Uh, had one on finding elk and then one on calling elk, and did a really good job. So. Uh, I really like those pro staff articles as well. And then anytime I get a project, I always try to pour my heart and soul into it and give you guys that information to make you better Western hunters. So uh, again, you can uh, grab those magazines with that promo code ELEVATED321. Uh, as we get uh, closer to the off season here, uh, you can also use Tag Hub or Internet Research Tool to uh, help you learn uh, these other states and what they offer for tags and opportunities. Um, it, it's all compiled there. We also have uh, this information in the back of the magazines in an MRS, a uh, member's research section, but this, um, this is like all compiled in one place, and uh, they're constantly evolving it and uh, adding more data to it, and um, it's just a great tool for hunting the West, so check that out as well. And with that, um, let's get into this podcast. So uh, my good buddy, Sean Kern, really like this guy, and then... Um, yeah, I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. All right, I'm here live with my buddy, Sean Curran. Um, it's been on an elk adventure a couple different states and then just finishing up Montana. Get your flight out of here today, huh? Yeah, just starting to feel normal again. Oh, man, you've been getting after it. Uh, how long you been gone from your house? Probably about 15, 16 days, I'd say. Man, oh man, yeah. two different states. No, actually more like three weeks I've been gone, yeah. Yeah, two different states, drew a New Mexico tag this year. Um, that was pretty sweet. We didn't expect that one, you know. I just put in for a buddy that hunted elk in Oregon last year, and he didn't get very much luck at all, barely seen an elk. And I hunt with him back home on Maui quite a bit. And, you know, I just told him, hey, let's throw our name in the hat in New Mexico, and if we draw... You know, we should get a pretty good uh, hunt. You know, it was our third choice, but it was, you know, a place that had a lot of elk. Um, and, yeah, we we hit that spot. My buddy actually moved out to Nevada a couple of days early um, before the hunt with his wife. Um, and, yeah, he, uh, he shipped his truck out there, so that was pretty sweet. We had his Tacoma to use, and he drove it down to New Mexico. And we pretty much, uh, he scouted it three days early. Um, new, you know, new zone, had no idea what we were walking into. And, you know, everything you look on, you know, e-scouting and all that, man, once you get there, it is completely different, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You got all these pins marked. I mean, I had it tattooed all through that unit. Like, these are the spots to go. And you get there and it's like, no, you know, a couple of those spots were so, some of those drainages, man, there's no way you're packing an elk out of there. So, you know, cross that off the list. I'm like, there's no way we're getting an elk out of here. Let's not even hunt this part. 
Yeah, boots to ground is so important. And a lot of that e-scouting, like getting the tag, um, you know, uh, figuring out which tags to apply for. And New Mexico is all uh, random draw. There's no points there. So good on you doing the research and finding a good unit. But yeah, you kind of get a game plan e-scouting and it, it is beneficial. You get familiar with the country. You kind of know the zones. You try to find some vantage points. But there's something to be said for boots on the ground when you actually get there in real time and then real time information where you're seeing elk. And, and like you said, where you can get an elk out of mm-hmm. like they're big, heavy animals. And when you're backpacking them out of you look at this remote country and think, oh, it's going to be on fire in there. And then you look at some of the canyons and go, God, I, I can't get one out of there, even if I did kill one, you know, so it's so important to get boots to ground. That's why those scouting trips really help out. But. Like in your case, being in Hawaii, everything for you is out of state and everything for you is this huge plane ride out. And so, you know, scouting really, you know, it's not an option for you. Like you have to come out a one time for season and kind of get your scouting in during season. But a lot of times it's a pretty good way to go, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, You know, him hitting it up a few days early, he he found the party already. You know, we had the second season archery. And uh, he had a good spot peg that, you know, had multiple bulls in it. And, um, you know, you can hear him fighting at night and they're going off at night. So we're like, okay, perfect. We got this spot that we know has elk. So the uh, the day before the, the hunt started, um, we went and scouted a different zone. He picked me up from the airport. We didn't get back into the unit till like, I don't know, I think like 12, 31 a.m., and, you know, we're we're driving up the road, and I'm saying, hey, you know, let's pull over. Let's do a little bit of nighttime, you know, call and see if anything responds as we're heading up, you know, into different parts of the unit. He said, okay, it, I mean, it's 1 in the morning. We're jumping out of our trucks, letting out a couple nighttime bugles, you know, nothing, drive up another mile or two, let out another couple, and then boom, response, and then another response. And now you found a second party. You know, now you're like, okay, plan A doesn't work. We got plan B. And just keep working it like that throughout the, you know, th- throughout the day, throughout the night before um, opening day. And and then, yeah, once opening day hit, uh, sure enough, that evening before, you know, that, that place that we wanted to hit, that plan A, there was like eight, ten trucks, you know, driving into that spot. You know, everybody's setting up camp around that area. And we're like, oh, man, like, there's no way. Everybody knows the party's down here. Like, let's go hit up plan B. You know, so it's it's just, it's, it's good having that plan B, C, and D that, you know, you can go and try and get them. And there's so, there's so many elk in, in there. Like, we had no idea what we were getting into, but, man, New Mexico, it just seems like it's loaded. That is a state that has a lot of elk. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you can hear them bugling at night, and that's huge. And so, yeah, we, um, you know, we said, hey, we don't want to deal with this amount of pressure in this area. Let's Let's go and hit up another spot. So sure enough, you know, we got into it, and this spot was kind of suited perfectly for our style of hunting. It was more spot and stock. There wasn't much uh, glassing involved. There's a little bit thicker terrain, so you're kind of going off the bugles. And, uh, you know, it was full moon, and it was hot. I mean, I thought I was back home in Hawaii. Like, <laughs> it was 90 degrees some of the days. I'm like, what the heck? And... Uh, so that opening morning, man, we got into these two bulls just going crazy. I mean, they're just bugling back and forth at each other, and they ended up meeting herds on herds, you know, joining together. And 
me and my buddy, you know, we we're slipping in in the dark before it's even light. You know, that's another good tactic that I've, you know, learned and heard on podcasts and stuff. You know, get in there while it's dark, you know, cut that distance. And sure enough, you know, when we got on these elk first thing in that that opening morning, um, you know, we got within 100 yards or so, but it was thick. We can hear them. We can barely see some of the cows. You know, the bulls were just over the, 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 the other side, and we're making our way, and I told my buddy, dude, I'm going to call in one of these bulls for you. You know what I mean? There's nothing like it, dude. You call in one of these bulls, they come charging, wanting to fight. So sure enough, I let out a bugle, you know, I start raking a tree. And five minutes later, we hear those freaking elk like five miles away, gone. I'm like, <laughs> what the heck? Where'd they go? Oh, my God. I just blew that one. When in hindsight, we should have just kind of circled around, got under them, got, you know, the wind a little better, got under them, and they would have. We, we caught like the last couple cows, you know, mm-hmm. cutting through and, uh, and yeah, I was, I was pretty bummed about that. I was like, God, we had two freaking good bulls, you know, about a hundred yards away from us. And I let out a bugle and they just freaking jammed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gosh, it can happen. Those, those high pressure elk, they just hear a lot of calls and you, you learn that like you can, you know, there, there definitely is a way to call bulls, and the majority of bulls that are killed are called in, but you just find in these areas in today's day and age at elk hunting, like, um, they hear calls and know what they are, you know, and they, they avoid them, and a lot of times you're getting that interaction where they're calling back and forth to you, but they're they're calling as they're moving away and moving their cows away, but I just wanted to dissect, like, a couple things you said in there, because it's so uh, key to elk hunting, like, um, you said finding those elk at night, like, uh, uh, cruising those roads and stopping and bugling and trying to find those elk and a big key to killing elk is being into elk and elk is either all or none either you're into them or you're not and you're seeing nothing and so the more days you can spend into elk you're just upping your odds of killing one of those things having something come together so you really have to get good at that skill set of finding and locating elk and whether that's through your glass whether that's through hearing them whether it's locating them at night like using all these different tactics just to be into elk to find those elk so you did a good job of doing that and then like having those those backup plans like you said like going in and and having that spot like you're always going to have challenges and for you on that hunt it was hot weather so they're going to rut a lot like um during the night and not so much during the day so you have such a small window to get on them and so you're making that window bigger by going in in the dark listening to those bugles and trying to position close to them and i had that same thing when we were hunting montana my last day there we could i could hear him bugling and just kept working into him and you you got to be careful not to bump them but you want to get yourself close enough where you're in striking distance and it seems like the first thing in the morning those elk are feeding and milling around but it isn't too long and they go to traveling and trying to make it to that bedroom to that bed zone so they instantly go from feeding around to bed zone and that happens really quick in the morning and when they're going to that bed zone they are moving country and you know a lot of guys listening have tried to keep up with elk like it doesn't work very good those things can just move country and elk can walk way faster than than we can move you know and so you're behind the eight ball and behind those elk in the morning you know so if you can position yourself 
by hearing the bugles and kind of hunting them in the dark, not trying to shoot one, but trying to just give yourself a chance. So when the lights come on, you know, you you got a chance to move in front of them or to get on them or to make that play in first light. So just a couple things that you did right during that New Mexico hunt to put yourself into elk. I just think that is so key. And and you guys gave yourself a chance. You had close encounters. Yeah, with the, the calling that first scenario uh, – you kind of got to adapt to the situation which you're given, you know? And so you start calling and see them go away, and you go, gosh, I don't know if this calling's going to work on these things. Like, we yep. may just have to move on them. So you guys adapted and then kept hunting, and you guys had more close encounters, right? Yeah, yeah. We kept the calls in the suitcase after day three because <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't working out too well. <laughs> um, yeah, and, you know, these elk were – they're they're going to bed so early i mean literally shooting light two minutes later and they're on the move and we're like how the heck you know like and i i just think it was because of the full moon and how hot it was Mm -hmm. it had to be those two scenarios playing out pressure makes a difference too they tighten up their program they just Mm -hmm. do a lot of their rutting at night yeah and it's a high pressured unit lots of tags in this unit but uh yeah so so yeah, getting on them early in the dark, you know, and uh, you know you you can hear the bugle fest at at night while you're walking in, so you kind of know where majority of the elk are. So you know you're just trying to play the wind. Of course, it's blowing down in the morning, so you're trying to get under them and and you know get within a couple hundred yards or so, you know, uh, two, three, maybe four hundred yards or so um, before light. So then you can kind of glass. But these elk were not in the meadows; they're just on the edge lines. And like I said, when I got light, they're they're on the move already. So we were basically um, learning that we'd have to, you know, cut underneath them and try to cut them off, cutting through this. Uh, I don't know what the the bushes are like over there. Like oak brush, right? Yeah, it's oak brush. You know, we uh, we learned that they're coming and, and uh, eating a lot of the acorns falling off the oak brush. So there's a lot of elk in that area. But uh, and and I mean the topography, it it. It suited, it was so perfect for our style of spot and stalking because it was, you know, what we were used to back home. You know, you'd you know, you'd be lucky to get a 100-yard, you know, shooting window. You know, usually it's 40, 50 yards. You can thread an arrow through, and, and that's exactly how this terrain was. You know, you kind of just zigging and zagging in through these openings. And I'll tell you what, using onyx and being able to, being able to find where these paths are that you can get through without, you know, stomping through the thick brush. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, you know, there's barely any wind, so they can hear you coming from a mile away. So using um, Onyx to be able to uh, dissect your route, you know, your quietest route to get through to them to try and intercept them was huge. Wow. So you'd look on Onyx for like openings in between the thick brush, in between the oak brush that you could kind of move through. Because if you were in the oak brush, you'd you'd make a bunch of noise. and they'd So spit. loud. Gotcha. Yeah, the leaves on the ground, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah. And that was another challenge, right? Is the um, the the ground was so crunchy and noisy. Like a lot of times, you know, your challenges are finding elk or getting into elk. But then once you find them, you you have a whole new set of problems. Like now the the ground's noisier; they can hear you coming. But that's smart to use your on X to pick your route like that. Yeah, we got caught a couple times moving in through the thick, trying to get close enough, and you know, got caught by a couple cows here and there, and. And then, yeah, you know, by you know, a few days in, we're using our onyx to try and find the, the quietest routes to intercept them. And, man, we got close. I mean, my buddy got on, uh, he intercepted them one morning, you know, got below him, and he had every cow pass by him at 20, 30 yards, 
perfectest opening. Um, and they're all, you know, kind of filing through this, you know, small meadow in, in the thick uh, brushy area. And, and you know, he's like, okay, the bull's coming. You know, he's got a perfect 20, 30 yards. I mean, they're all filing right past them. He's like, okay, this is going to happen. Where's the bull? You know, he hears the bull just, you know, huffing and puffing. He's doing his thing. And what was cool was the uh, the glunking. You can hear those herd bulls glunk. Oh, that's that's a pretty cool sound, you know, <laughs> when you get close enough hearing that thing, that going off. But, yeah, so he ends up, uh, you know, he's waiting, waiting, you know, all the cows file through, and he's like, where's this bull? And he looks up, and the bull's coming directly on the trail he was on in the brush, in the thicker brush. So this bull was smart enough not to pop out in the open like all his cows did. He stayed in the thicker brush on the same trail that my buddy was set up trying to get a shot through. And and then, yeah, they locked eyes at, like, 15 yards, and... Freaking that bull blew out of there and he was crushed. He was like, he thought he played it out perfect, you know? So yeah, I learned that, uh, you know, sometimes these bulls, they, they won't pop out into the open, man. They'll, they'll stay in the thick stuff, mm-hmm. you know, high pressured elk, I guess. Yep. I've actually seen some bulls that'll leave the groups of cows. Like in the, once the lights come on, uh, they don't want to be with the cows anymore. They'll actually leave the herd. Some of the biggest bulls I've ever chased has left the herd and then they're by themselves um, and then go back down and rut them at night, you know? So yeah, they get crafty. And that, that noise, when they hear you, it seems like when an elk hears you, like elk make a lot of noise moving through country. So noise isn't always bad. And, you know, same thing with mule deer and things. Like there's always rocks falling and rolling down these cliffs, you know? So they're kind of used to noise, but it seems like what noise does is it keys them into your position. So now all of a sudden they hear a noise and now they're on alert and they're looking in your direction where the noise came from. And then the moment they see a little movement or they hear more noise, you know, then they spook. But it it puts their attention on you when you hear that noise, you know. So it's so key to have a silent approach. And like your buddy did, cutting them off, you know. It's like moving in front of those elk and letting them move into you. Uh, such a great tactic for elk for spot and stalking because a lot of times those herds have so many numbers and the topography just won't allow you to to pop up at 50 yards or make that play at 50 yards. And so it's like trying to position yourself from bugles and from sight to try to be in front of them where they move by you like your buddy did. It's just the bull didn't read the script. Yep. Yeah, we notice, you know, after, you know, if, if you blow them out of the area for a day or so, and like I said, they're kind of in that oak brush eating those acorns. The next day they'd be gone. You know, there there wouldn't be much elk around that area. Really? But a day after, they'd be right back in there. Okay. So it's almost like, you know, they, they don't feel too much pressure for a day, and then boom, they come right back in. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty sweet. We played the game in that area for a while. Um, like I said, the spot and stalking suited our style of hunting. And, and um, yeah, we got really close. And then for some reason, I wanted to kind of um, – just break out and and check different areas of the unit so after like day three or four we were on the road and we were hitting different parts of the unit and we had a really bad windstorm hit and and uh this this upper part of the unit was really beautiful country and you know big meadows but thick timber kind of like you know montana you know looked like a lot like montana's areas and and uh when we got up there, you could barely hear a faint sound of a couple of bugles. We're like, okay, let's set up camp here. You know, we'll try it out in the morning. And the wind was so bad, you couldn't barely hear bugles. And it was like, this, this isn't, this isn't gonna work out. I mean, you're just trying to find a needle in a haystack. You know, if you can't hear where they're at. So, 
um, you know, we wasted a day or two in that area, and then we checked out a different area that had these huge canyons, and we're like, no, this isn't going to work. So we ended up, you know, three days of, of traveling. It was cool, you know, adventuring, you know, checking out different areas of the unit. Every area was pretty different, so it was, it was pretty cool to see. And then we ended up making our way back to that, that first area where, you know, we, we kind of knew it a little better. And, uh, and yeah, I, I only got on one bull in this meadow that was, he stayed out for a couple hours, just going crazy, rutting his butt off, you know, raking trees and, and, and figure eating this, this hot cow. And, um, I found him about an hour, an hour and a half after light. So it was getting to that seven thirty eight 8 a.m. And I was up on this ridge watching him and he was going crazy. You know, I could have snuck down there within 10, 20 minutes and probably got an arrow in on that bull. But, you know, from that 8, 9 o'clock period, once that wind starts swirling, I don't like going down there. Um, so I ended up kind of walking the road down a ways and, you know, mile or so down, I ran into some other hunters going after another bull. So I kind of intercepted them and I said, hey, you know, just letting you guys know, I got a bull bedded, you know, down this, this valley over here in this direction. I'm going to try and hunt them this afternoon when the wind gets better. You know, you guys hunt, hunt these bulls that you're going after all you like, but you know, please just leave the one over there to me. And they, you know, nod their head and they're like, okay, okay, you know, sure. And they're probably like, yeah, right, you know, whatever. <laughs> so sure enough, I go back to the ridge and I'm just, you know, listening to this bull going crazy. And I'm like, kind of in the back of my head, like, shut up already. You know, some guys are going to hear you. You know, be quiet. <laughs> you know, stop running. And sure enough, I just hear these 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 two hunters coming down the valley right for him, man. Just chirping up a storm, though. Just cow calling like crazy. And I'm like, no, my God, are you kidding me? By that time, it's like 930. The wind's all over the place. So I come barreling down the ridge trying to cut him off, you know, telling him, hey, you know, what are you guys doing? You guys are going to get, you guys are going to blow this bull out of here. And sure enough, I couldn't get down to them in time before they were already, you know, 100 yards from the bull. So I backed out there, and I'm just like, God, I just got to watch this play out and see what happens. And they're chirping up a storm with their cow calls, and then sure enough, the bull freaking starts coming to them and, and gets underneath them and circles around them and gets their scent. And just next thing I know, he's like 500 yards away down the freaking drainage, bugling his butt off. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, all right. Learned a kind of a valuable lesson there where, like, I was just like, I should have just, you know, you want to play the patience game and you want to do everything right. But, man, when you got a freaking bull going crazy with still decent wind, get down in there, try and put an arrow in them. And then once the wind starts swirling, back out of there as fast as possible. You know what I mean? Like, it's like in hindsight, right? What can you do? But Yeah, uh, hindsight's always twenty twenty, isn't it? And especially with hunting pressure, too, you know public land you just never know you know and with a bull that won't shut up he's gonna draw hunters in you <laughs> right. know they're trying to get into him but yeah that's too bad well let me uh i just gotta take a call here real quick won't we'll jump back on let me just pause this all right i just gotta go Okay, sorry about that, Sean. Because you're trying to run construction and then record a podcast too. 
tough to do during, <laughs> during elk season. <laughs> you no doubt trying to kill a bull too, but uh, yeah, man, that's um, that's uh, uh, such a close encounter on that bull and bugling and probably a really nice one. But he yeah, a good six. Yeah. Gosh, it's just um, it's what we deal with hunting public land a lot of times, you know. And, and the majority of times, it seems like the elk are where the humans are. And if you can get on a bull or get on some elk, you usually have them to yourself. But every once in a while, you know, there'll be a guy that screws it up. And and sometimes they don't even mean to. Like I've had it where I have a good bull that I've followed all morning, and then I'm watching him bed, and I'm waiting for my chance. And then somebody will be up on the ridge with a bad wind, just hiking, just elk hunting, you know. And then their wind blows down and blows those elk elk and elk don't relocate like one ridge over elk relocate in a different zip code it seems like they just roll country and there's been times when i've been able to keep up with like spooked elk and then i follow them for a mile or two miles and they go back to being elk but a lot of times you just lose track of them they just get away from you or travel too fast or get out of country or whatever and especially that thicker stuff that you guys were hunting there just isn't much of a chance you know but yeah that's too bad when hunters screwed up like one of your best opportunities yeah it was one of my best opportunities i think that was probably day five or day six by then and um so yeah you know i'd say by day four or so we kind of just played the approach of divide and conquer um i knew my buddy knew how to hunt and i just said hey if, if we split up and go opposite directions well that's gonna you know make the odds better in finding elk and you know give us better chances because we just need like you said in the beginning we need to find the elk that's that's the key to the game really and so we did that once we started dividing, um, you know, we started having a lot more plays after that. You know, he'd get into some, he'd be like, yeah, there's a bunch over here. Let's, let's hunt these this evening or, you know, that evening, you know. And then, um, <clears throat> and we'd always play it smart where it's like, you know, don't don't push the envelope. You know, make sure that, you know, all the cards are in your favor. Don't go down in there if the wind's bad back out of there go in the morning when the wind's going to be good for a couple hours blowing down steady you know because sometimes that afternoon wind is tough because sometimes the thermals especially when the weather's warmer out it'll stay blowing you know in that kind of dominant or uphill thermal direction almost all the way till dark mm -hmm. you know maybe a half hour and then it'll switch start blowing down well usually it's that half hour you're trying to get on the elk right right before dark and just start swirling during then you're done so you know we'd play the play the game smart make sure the wind was good and if it wasn't we'd back out of there and have the play for the morning and mm -hmm. you know that worked out really well it's a smart way to do it and you're right you got to hunt with a buddy that you can gel with and that you can trust but that divide and conquer is such a good tactic where you guys go different directions and then share information and when one guy finds them you bring the other guy in and you make a plan that'll work for both guys like oh you come in this way and i come in that way but you're right you have to have somebody that isn't so aggressive that he's going to blow the elk out of there and then ruin it for both you guys like you're right if the conditions aren't right or the wind isn't right like you stay back the wind might be right for me or we get on them tomorrow morning so uh, it's imperative to have a buddy that you can trust and hunt with and that's going to hunt smart and, and it's looking out for the better of the team and not just himself you know that you have to want success for everybody in the party not just yourself you know because if you get greedy or you want it just for yourself you'll end up screwing it up for everybody you know yeah. so uh, such a great tactic I love that that divide and conquer and share information and then when you do find them bringing everybody in and then you never know who's going to kill the bull you know so what a smart approach 
you know yeah um yeah and then we uh we found a couple good wallow zones you know up in the the thicker timber up where it's a little bit wetter where you know some of the streams were kind of flowing down and found some good wallow zones that they were hitting and man this one i had to do some rock climbing to get to i mean it looked like mountain lion country like it was just huge boulders and so you know i kind of scaled them and got to this this one wallow you know deep i mean where hardly any hunters have probably been i mean it was way back in there and sat on this wallow for a few hours this one day you could tell they were hitting it because i guess you know the water kind of gets a little bit on the dirty side where they're going into it and hitting it and you can see all the tracks and where they're scraping their horns and stuff so that was pretty cool sat on that for a while but it was on the uh it was on a pretty steep slope of a hillside and and uh the wind was just bouncing off that thing going every direction left right up down i mean i i could deal with left right and up and then, you know what i mean have you know the downhill in my favor but when it's going all four directions you, you don't stand a chance so after a couple hours of sitting on that thing i was like dude nothing's coming in here you know after five six days of me freaking camping out i, I probably smell pretty good <laughs> <laughs> so i bailed off of that but yeah we tried the wallow thing um, a couple times and it, it was cool to do you could tell they were hitting it but if you don't have good wind it's you don't stand a chance so um so then we uh you know one morning probably like day seven i think it's a 10-day hunt day seven i got on a really nice five by five i mean a big five like he uh he was riding about eight or ten cows and you know i played the game right got underneath them and i had a probably a 50 yard area of thick brush in between me and him and I kind of came around the left side and had all his cows like perfect within 50 yards of shooting and and I knew he was just above me in the thicks just you know bugling and going crazy doing what he does and so I was like okay I'm just gonna sit on his cows till he comes in you know checks his cows and you know I'll get a shot on him and then you know, I kind of heard him working his way back on the other side of the the thick brush. And I'm like, wow, why is he going that way? What the heck? So I circled back underneath him and I get under him. And sure enough, there was one cow on the other side. And I was like, oh, no. And the cow caught me moving over there. And she kind of boogied across the field or across the meadows into the timber. And, and then I can still hear him going crazy. So he might not have, you know, kind of seen what happened with me and her. So I start heading up his direction, and I get to 50, and I can see the tops of his horns. He's this big old five, and he's kind of staring down in my direction, and I just freeze, you know, and, you know, I just froze, and he kind of went back to doing his thing and bugling like crazy, but what he ended up doing was he went back over, got all the rest of his cows, did a bugle, which I've noticed once they do that one bugle after they think something's up, it's like, all right, girls, let's go. We're out of here. I've had that happen a few times elk hunting. And uh, before I could get back down to my original spot, man, he took all his ladies, was below me, got my wind, like 60, 70 yards, and, I, and, and then they just boogied out of there. I was like, oh, that was one of my best, better plays, <laughs> too, at a big five. I mean, so, yeah, blew that one. Um, but that was, a, that was a killer stock, killer encounter. And then, uh, and then yeah, right around the, uh, the last two days of the hunt, yeah, you know throughout the hunt I, I got on a few other like smaller five by fives and stuff like that but you know with being in new mexico and you know i really wanted my buddy to get an elk i said hey you know i'm not gonna i don't want to shoot anything on the smaller side you know I, first of all i want my buddy to get an elk and second of all 
like if I do shoot one, you know, dealing with the meat and, and during the hot weather and all that, it's just going to be a pain in the butt having to run to the store, which was like an hour and a half drive just to get ice, you know, to keep shuffling the coolers. So, um, so yeah, I was kind of holding out for a good one. And second to last day, man, I got in this elk party where these two bulls were just going off. And I, my buddy heard him in the morning up in this direction, but he was hunting some different elk in a different direction. So I said, okay, you know, I'm going to go back up in that area, you know, in the afternoon and, and see what's up there. He said, yeah, well, all you. So I'm like, perfect. So I get up on this plateau and I hear this one bull, you know, he's starting to go off a couple hundred yards away. I'm making my way to him. And then this other bull starts going off. And now they're just like, nah, they just start going at it. So I snuck into this elk rut fest of these two bulls just going insane. And they're clashing horns and glunking and doing all that stuff. And all the cows were just running all over, going crazy, you know. And uh, so one was a big five and one was a nice six. So I was like, okay. So I, I basically got in the middle of these two bulls going off. And I mean, they were just doing circles around me. And, and, and I'd get on a window at 20 yards and they would just fly through that window so fast. Even if I yelled at them, they probably didn't care. They didn't stop. They were just so locked onto each other. You know what I mean? The big five was pissing off the six. And so every window I had, they just wouldn't stop in the window, you know, and I didn't want to give up my location. So I kind of followed them up over the ridge and they're making their way down to the, to the river to go drink um, before dark. And I got on the big five and he actually ended up stopping and just raking the crap out of this tree, man. Just, I mean, branches were flying left and right. And he was just going nuts. And, and I was able to sneak up to 20 yards on him. But the problem was there's a downhill slope and there's a bunch of, uh, you know, it's kind of this shoulder high brush in between me and him where he was down. So I, you know, I ran, I didn't even range him. I knew he was a top pin shot. So I got on my tippy toes and I'm trying to like angle, draw my bow and angle up just high enough to get over this brush to, you know, get the shot down on him while he's raking this tree. And I ended up clipping a branch, dude. My arrow went freaking deflected. I don't even know where. Like, just before it hit him. And it clean miss. And the bull freaking, like, turned and ran away. And I was like, oh, my God. So I blew it on that five. And uh, so they kind of went down to the river. And then back to base camp that night, you know. I was like, ah, oh, blew it on a good five. And then so the next morning... I kind of went up there and, you know, searched for my arrow. I I was pretty confident I missed, and I did miss. But, uh, you know, you always got to go back up there and make sure it was a miss, you know what I mean? So I spent a couple hours looking for my arrow and blood, and there, there wasn't anything. I, I, I heard it ricochet off a branch. So uh, so during that day, you know, I was like, oh, I'm just going to kind of stay up in this area. Maybe that big six came back up on the top. And, you know, I kind of was looking on Onyx and I seen a north facing slope just on the other side of the ridge. I was stayed shady and cold all, you know, all day. And I said, hey, maybe, you know, he came back up and bedded down in this zone. So I set myself up on the other side of the ridge and kind of just, you know, took a nap and slept. And about 6 p.m. I got up and got to the top of the ridge. And what do I hear? hundred yards on the other side, the big six starts like stretching out his vocal cords and doing a little bit of glunk and I'm like oh my god no way he's right here I set myself up perfect I couldn't believe it just thinking he was in this this you know bedded in this area and uh so sure enough he starts working up towards the ridge that I'm on I see some cows start busting out and 
man, watching the elk behavior of a you know a mature rutting bull is is something special because these things are characters, man. They're like they're almost like little kids, you know. I mean, when they're around their <laughs> when they're around their girls, it's it's pretty cool to watch and experience. But uh, yeah, you could tell which one was his hot cow, and he'd circle back around her and. You know, you could tell he was just keeping his eyes on her at all times, you know what I mean? And But, you know, showing off during the same time. And, uh, and so his cow popped up at 61 yards. And uh, I said, okay, there's his cow. And he actually circled down around by me. And I thought he was going to pop out at like 20 yards in this opening right by me. And he did, but he, he stayed behind a bush. All I needed him to take was a couple of steps and he was 20 yards. And, you know, but no, he circled back around the the other side of the slope and then came back up to the ridge where his cow was and he popped out on the ridge perfectly broadside and you know I knew exactly where he was 61 yards he was in the same exact spot so you know this is my opportunity right broadside 60 yards a little bit of a far shot but man I've been I've been shooting for four months straight before this elk hunt I mean I got my broadheads dialed like out to like a hundred but you know I don't want to take that shot that far you know but i'm just saying in case you need to slip in a a second shot or something it's good being dialed out long range just in case you got to get another one in them so anyways that 60 yard shot i felt more confident, and i drew back my bow and you know i settled my pin he had no idea i was there he was just staring at his hot cow on the other side of the ridge and uh I ain't gonna lie i was shaking like a leaf yeah you know i mean my pin was 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 dancing pretty good and tried settling myself down you know i mean it took 20 30 seconds for me to ex execute that shot and then finally i got the pin settling exactly where i wanted it behind the shoulder blade uh touch high or so but um you know the shot broke and it felt great and it it hit the bull solid and and the bull ran little ways and they circled back up on the ridge and then and I, and I put my binos on them, and, and the arrow was sticking out about a foot. And I was like, oh, man, I didn't get that much penetration. What the heck happened? And uh, then he kind of looked back down the ridge at me, probably caught me moving, you know, shuffling with my binos or whatever. And then uh, he ended up running away. And I went up there, and I looked, and there was just a, you know, there's there a little splatter of blood. And then just little specks, and it was starting to get dark already. And I found my arrow was broken in half. And I said, okay, well, at least, you know, it seems like I got about 16 inches of penetration or so. Um, you know, I, I should have at least clipped one long. Shot looked good, just a touch high. So, you know, I backed out of there. It was cold enough that night to kind of let him be. Actually, while I was uh, following a little bit of the, the specs at that night, there was a bear down below, and he was huffing and puffing pretty good, man. I was like, eh, okay, I didn't want to back out of here. I don't want to have a run in with a black bear right now. <laughs> so I let him be and went back the next morning and, and searched blood for, man, hours. And uh, basically one splatter of blood turned into just little specks, man. And I followed it for probably two, 300 yards. And then he busted out into this, this meadow that was about the size of a football field. And I have no idea which direction he went. If he went straight through the meadow, if he branched off. But, I mean, I looked for eight to ten hours that day. And then I just basically grid searched the whole entire hillside up and down, left to right. I mean, I could see 50 yards through the brush. So I could see if he was down. And, I mean, just about in like a half mile radius, that whole entire mountainside, dude. All day long, looked for that bull and couldn't find him. So my guess is I hit him high or... 
my arrow, you know, deflected off a rib or something. I'm not sure what happened, but I've followed a lot of blood trails in my days, man. And, and this one was huge. He was going to live. I mean, there's just, there's no blood. Yeah, man. It, um, those elk, they are, um, they are so extremely tough and, um, you know, it's kind of the unspoken thing about bow hunting, you know, it's like, uh, to wound or to not get an animal you shoot you know and it, it just it happens to all of us on occasion it can just be you know you put the arrow right where you wanted it it was high but high isn't a bad shot on elk there is like a there is a space in between the spine and the top of the lungs there you know that sometimes you can get in there where you don't hit anything but you're right maybe it glanced off a rib in there who knows i mean it is a game of science and if you hit lungs heart or liver they're gonna die and if you don't hit lungs heart and liver they're not gonna die you know and so and and if you don't hit lungs heart and liver like on bulls they're so extremely tough you got maybe a 10 percent chance to get them it's just your odds are not good if you don't get in those vitals but you made a good shot and then like you say you've trailed so many blood trails in hawaii so many axis deer and those axis don't bleed very good like the seems like they're a bit dehydrated out there or something and it's tough to follow out in that brush so yeah i know you have all the necessary skills and i know like when you hit an animal, you give it a hundred and ten percent. Like you're not going to give up till you either find that animal or there's no trace of them and no more nowhere else to follow. So there isn't a doubt in my mind that you gave that bull absolutely everything you had. And and, and two, there wasn't much else you could do. You put the shot you wanted on the bull. Uh, ran off you trailed the bull to the best of your abilities for the entire next day like at at some point you know there's a there's a point where you have to cut your losses and go i'm not going to get this bull and and you hope he just survives another year and like you say if the blood signs telling you that like he probably will live another year and we've killed a lot of bulls with broadheads in them and uh, arrow shafts in them that have healed up that big bull i shot last year the one right over here he had an arrow shaft in him that i dug out of him i think out of his shoulder somewhere oh, wow. in there <laughs> um, so we do find them. They do live with those shots, but yeah, it just crushes you, man. It takes you to your highest high to your lowest low. Um, but, but elk are extremely tough and that's the game we play. And you play that same game with a rifle too. The rifle will do more damage, uh, going in, but the same thing, like, um, animals get lost, you know, it's part of the game. And you know that as well as I know that as well as our audience knows that. But I think it's important to talk about and share as well, because, you know, there's somebody that listening to this podcast this year that hit a bull that didn't recover it. There's probably multiple guys, you know, and so, um, it's just good to good to hear that it happens to other people, and you know the only thing you can do is um, give it your all to try to recover that bull. But they're so extremely tough that sometimes they don't die. And I've been back to look for birds and look for the dead elk and covered miles and been back multiple times. That's um, gosh, that's a crappy way to end your New Mexico hunt. But it didn't end that way. No. Like uh, mm-hmm. uh, you didn't get that bull, you gave it your all, but. Uh, uh, your buddy, who it's his second year elk hunting, but he's he's well versed in uh, bow hunting. He hunts a bunch on Maui and different places. But he, uh, you guys kept hunting, and um, he got a chance at a bull, huh? Yeah, last morning, um, he uh, he basically, you know, same thing went below our base camp, and it, it camp we had it perfectly situated, and it was it was pretty cool to hear them just going crazy. And, uh, yeah, so he just played that game again and went down below and tried cutting them off and ended up, uh, getting lucky and he got into a, a good herd and, um, they were going rut crazy and, and he ended up doing a little bit, a couple of soft cow calls and, 
this little wimpy bugle, you know, with, with, cause he knew he couldn't get in where they were at there in a little bit thicker area. So he did like a wimpy bugle and some, some cow calls. And I guess he got one of the satellite bulls to branch out and, and come check them out. And they locked the eyes at like 20 yards. He was quartering too, but you know, I've shot elk quartering too. I don't like the shot, but I know if you tuck it in their armpit, you get it away from the brisket and in front of that shoulder, it's actually a pretty lethal shot. So I kind of um, gave him the pep talk on that. If you do have one, you know, kind of facing you or quartering to where to tuck it in on that arrow. And sure enough, he drew back and he slipped that arrow right in between that rib, in between the brisket and the front shoulder. And uh, and then, yeah, he sent me a text. You know, I just shot a bull and I was like, perfect. So I went down, met up with him and, and we uh, tracked the blood for about 100 yards and the bull was piled up, mm -hmm. man. And he was just so excited. Last day, last morning, I mean couldn't happen to a better dude and uh yeah we were just ecstatic and yeah he almost broke down and started crying man he was so happy like it was just a, it was a phenomenal hunt man new mexico's a killer spot and uh, yeah i got a good bull on the ground good six by five that's killer that mm. uh blood trail is so much different when you kill a bull isn't it it's oh, just yeah. blood everywhere and mm -hmm. and you're right that frontal shot is a good shot it's like uh the same as you um i I don't, uh, I, I don't like the shot. I don't take it much on elk because mm -hmm. they're so big. It's not that it doesn't kill them. It's a really effective shot. And I've killed animals, deer and uh, antelope. And I can't remember an elk I've killed that way. But it, it's just a smaller spot you have to hit. It's like you can't miss left or right. It's got to be a precise arrow that goes right in that armpit and that spot you're taking. But I think he did the right thing. Like when you have that shot present itself at 20 yards – you can put that shot in that basketball or in that softball size mm. spot where it needs to be to kill that elk, you know. And so, uh, you know, I just advise like you can take a frontal shot, but that's not a shot you take at 50 or 60. Yep. You know, that's a shot you take at 15, 20, mm. 25, where you can put that precision arrow in there and then they don't make it anywhere. It is such a lethal shot. Like angles in archery are good. Like I like a quartering away more than I like a completely broadside, you know. I like angles angling that arrow in there uh so that frontal shot is super lethal i just like to be a lot closer when i make that shot which he was Definitely. you know and then he put the arrow in the perfect spot so good for him dude good for yeah. you guys mm -hmm. like um a successful trip in a brand new place on planet earth a, a brand new state for you a uh, brand new unit and you guys dialed it in and got some chances we're into amazing elk hunting and then in the end you helped your buddy kill a a really nice bull for his first bull to date which dude a public land bull is not easy to kill you know how many years you've been out here west hunting and you mm -hmm. know what your success odds run and you're a really good bow hunter mm -hmm. and a really good elk hunter you know for him to kill a bull this is his second elk hunt and kill a bowl like that and make a perfect shot good on you guys dude yeah it was amazing i mean it it and you know it comes down to the amount of hard work and and learning it and and just not giving up you know that dedication and mm -hmm. you know sure enough he he learned the these the, the behavior of these elk and and what they were used to doing and he slipped down in there and 
and and got it done and, and hats off to him yeah fantastic job hats off to him and keeping a good attitude throughout it all like uh, yeah. there's always going to be challenges on these hunts it's just never easy it's like the nature of bow hunting it's mm-hmm. gonna be difficult and you're just not sure like what kind of difficult you're gonna get and right. you guys had hot weather you guys had hunting pressure you guys had a brand new unit like you there was plenty of challenges to go around noisy brush noisy stalking like yeah. plenty of challenges waking up at 4 a.m every morning yeah you know what i mean exactly <laughs> yeah being disciplined getting up day in day out and keeping that good attitude and keeping yourself into elk and it's amazing what'll come together on the last day last morning he shoots a bull yeah. so how killer it dude perfect it and, was meant to be and good for you like um you know helping him out and um uh, uh, sharing spots and, and, uh, really trying to learn. And you guys kept your head in the game and kept theorizing. And sure enough, you came out of there with a bull. So good for you, dude. Yeah. Thanks man. Yeah. It's super cool. And then up to Montana, you finally drew a special tag. I'd, I've been telling you about this place for years, like, uh, wanting you to draw this, this zone that we hunt in this breaks country or whatever. And, um, man, we run in, we ran into challenges on that hunt. Um, you know, I'm hearing about how many, you know, all these elk running all over the place. Man. Oh, I know. You know, multiple chances at, you know, six point bulls and this and that. It's a good zone, man, and it's good hunting in there. But, yeah, we had drought conditions this year in Montana, and so the feed burned off in this breaks country pretty quick. And so we started diving into a bunch of my favorite spots, and we turned up some random elk here and there. You got to play at a six-point chasing that cow that kind of disappeared from you. I had a six-point that I kind of played on one evening and got held up at 150 yards or so and kind of left them for another day. So we ran into some randoms, but I don't think we saw a cow in there. Like um, the numbers just weren't there. The sign wasn't there. The feed wasn't there. And so, you know, we kept moving around and kept theorizing, but uh, a lot of empty hunts and empty miles and not hearing bugles. Lots of crickets. Oh, man, (laughs) it was tough, you know, and I'm used to this zone being on fire, but the last couple of years, these drought conditions have really wreaked havoc on this country. And so finally started checking the fields and some spots I know. And, oh, man, there was just there was a pile of elk in these fields. But the problem is, is all these fields are private. Um, you know, and the, you can hunt the public surrounding it, but there's also a lot of guys that are trying to find elk that are hunting this same public surrounding this. So it's, um, it's not ideal conditions for sure, but you know, there again, you kept a good attitude. You kept driving hard and pushing hard and we kept theorizing, trying to figure out how the heck we were going to shoot an elk, but thousands of elk in those fields, like some of those rut fests that you could hear that bugling was just crazy on the edges. Those elk know those edges pretty good, though. They know they get to about a couple hundred yards of that edge, and then that was about as close as they'd come a lot of times, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they're in tune to that country for sure. They knew exactly where they were safe and where they weren't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we found the elk after about four or five days, and like you said, they were all on private in, in these fields, and, man, it was cool to see thousands of elk. I mean, big bulls, too. It was like, wow, this is cool. I can only imagine, you know, if they're – out on the public side, you know, how many opportunities you'd have. And that country is so perfect for spot and stock with the bow. I mean, there's so many just nooks and crannies and hills, and the topography was perfect. Like, you couldn't ask for a better topography area to, you know, be able to sneak up on some elk. Um, 
but yeah definitely had a scratch in our head for the first few days like where the heck are all the elk i mean it was it was tough the first morning i got on a decent five by five down in this canyon a couple drainages over away from the roads and and um you know elected to pass on them but uh but yeah after that i didn't see an elk for four days four or five days and and then we were kind of just yeah we finally found them in those fields and he said all we need is a couple of these elk to to break off these uh these herds and get back into some of this public area and you guys went after some in one zone and i kind of went up and onto this vantage point i said you know instead of just diving into these areas and not really seeing much elk at all I'm going to get it to some vantage points and I'm going to try and just glass and see if I can catch some, you know, um, coming out or something. So one afternoon I got up onto this vantage point. I think, uh, your buddy Dan stayed in his truck and, and he kind of just drove the road system. And, and I think you dove into an area and I got up on this high vantage and just glassed all over. And then I finally caught about six, seven elk on public, um, right before dark. And I said, okay, you know, there's a play for the morning. I had no idea if there was a bull in there or not and um i uh i said okay well at least i gotta play for the morning you know at least i know where there is some elk on public land and i'll head over there in the morning so i had dan drop me off early that morning and uh yeah i went in there and, and found a, a little high mound in the middle of this open um sagey country you know and got on top of that mound at dark and uh, just waited till it got light started getting light enough and you know i kind of glassed in that area where i saw those six seven elk and sure enough they were still there they're still about 500 yards away and then i kind of started panning to my left and, and there's a solo five by five out in the open and then i started panning more to my left and here's a pretty nice wide six all by himself and they're all on public and i'm like sweet okay well of course that six by six had me you know that had me focus all my attention on him and so I'm just watching them and the five by five and the six by six are, they're probably about 400 yards apart from each other. And, uh, the six by six, he's kind of just working right up his way towards this, uh, towards this hill that I'm on top of. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to stay here if he's working his way up towards me. And then that five by five end up seeing the six and he met up with him like they're buddies and now they're both heading up my direction. I'm like, okay, well, I don't need to move. They're coming my way. And I mean, it's kind of dog shit, but you know, hey, here they're coming. And sure enough, um, to the right side of the mound that I was on, um, the wind was blowing down into the right. So if they came below the mound to the right and came up, they would have got my wind. And of course, behind me is the timber that they're wanting to go into. And they ended up working up to the mound and and uh they branched off on the left side of the mound. Perfect wind. And here they come. And and when I knew that they're probably about a hundred yards out and they're coming on my, it's the good side of the mound. This is when I'm like, okay, I need to get in a position. So what I did is I slid off the mound down the slope of ways and got into the tallest sage, which was literally knee high and kind of almost like laid down on my side and just had my head popping over the peeking over the sagebrush. And here comes the five by five and, you know, I get my range find out, and I range them at, uh, I range them at f 38 yards. So the 5 by 5 is at 38 yards, and he's cutting through, and, you know, he passes me, and I'm just praying. I'm like, please don't pick me out, because, you know, I, I didn't have much cover at all. I was behind a couple of little sagebrush bushes, and that was it. 
And uh, he just kept moseying along in this slow walk and kept going. I'm like, perfect, okay, he didn't see me. And, man, it felt like an eternity before that 6x6 came around that hill. And I was like, where's the 6? He's got to be behind this 5. Where is he? Where is he? And it must have only been like, I don't know, a minute or so later, 6x6 pops out. And I'm like, okay, there he is. And I had everything knocked and everything ready to go. And and uh, I knew he was on the same line that the uh, that the uh, five by five was, so I didn't even have to range him. And uh, so I kind of waited, not till he was perfectly, you know, um, al- alongside of me. I wanted him to walk past me a little bit. Now he's got that just slight little quartering away shot. And uh, and I figured if he was at 38 where I ranged that cow, and he took a few steps past, and now he's about 40, so I'm like 40 yard pin, perfect. And he was just heading up behind me, and and I wanted to stop him, you know what I mean? So I drew back, and I was settling my pin on him, but he was in a slow walk, real slow. It wasn't like a walk where, you, you know, you don't want to take that shot. It was a really slow walk. And uh, so, you know, I feel confident with shooting this, this bull while he's walking because I didn't know if I barked at him to stop or whatever. He would have just bolted and started running. I don't know how these things react, and I just didn't want to take the chance. So I ended up shooting him on the slow walk, and I hit him perfect exactly where I wanted to, um, just behind the front shoulder a little ways, and it, it was maybe a touch high. And I watched him kind of take off about 50 to 100 yards, and my arrow was sticking out halfway again. And I'm like, deja vu to New Mexico. Oh, my God, no way, right? Like, what the heck happened? So I'm thinking, and then he stops 100 yards away, and they're kind of both looking around, like, what happened? I ducked down in the sage. I didn't want them to see me. And uh, and I'm just watching him get my binos up. And, you know, I see a lot of blood coming out the side of him. But uh, he, uh, you know, just slowly started walking, you know, away again. And literally, there's about three 300 yards or so, and he's slow walking, and then he beds down. And I'm like, okay, he's hurting. He's, he, he bedded. And then uh, the main road was probably only about 600 yards or so away. And he beds down right when the big yellow school bus is coming down the road, just barreling down the road, the school bus to pick up the kids. And and the elk freaking jumps up and kind of slowly runs over the hill. And I'm like, oh, no. So then and I you're just, a mile from the road or so, yeah, but still yeah, just saw that big yellow like, <laughs> school bus just barreling down the road, <laughs> and uh, and so the bull goes up over the ridge, and that's when I left my pack, I grabbed my bow, and I just started running and caught up to that ridge and peeked over the ridge, and you know I had a good you know amount of area that I could see you know a lot of open before he, they hit that timber, and I couldn't find the bull. I'm like, where the heck's the bull? But as I was getting up to that ridge the blood trail was just it was a huge blood trail i mean it was like somebody poured out a paint can and and just slowly walked it up and everywhere he stopped was just a puddle of blood so i'm like okay the blood trail is great so i'm like if he beds down he's probably just going to expire so i got up and over the ridge and i'm following the blood trail real slow because i didn't want to jump him in a sage or whatever and uh sure enough there's a little timber patch and uh, I, I could see his, his ass end that was bedded down in this little small timber patch. And I was like, oh, there he is. And I was 80 yards away. And, you know, I, I kind of just glassed him up for 10 to 20 minutes. I could still see him breathing. He's moving his head around a little bit. And um, then I kind of just got on, like, the mountain lion stock, you know what I mean, on all fours. And I'm just freaking crawling in. I'm like, Dude, if I got to get another arrow in, I'm getting another arrow in. 
and I got to within like 50 and then before I knew it he stopped moving and and then I got up on my feet and walked up to him real slow with an arrow knocked and yeah, sure enough he expired in that timber and man I was like so relieved oh it was awesome just the whole plan played out and you know we were having such a tough time finding elk and just the way that that went down was just meant to be I think dude meant to be tough conditions but there again just like your buddy did in New Mexico like you kept even though we were having tough hunting and um, we were hunting edges a lot and uh, not finding elk like you you just kept a good attitude and you kept pushing and putting forth that effort and that night before when you found the elk I mean it was hot and you climbed up to that vantage point put that extra effort in found those seven back in there that morning got on that knob and you just positioned yourself perfect those elk had left that big herd and came right up by you but uh you capitalized on the opportunity when did you come up in the sage so you say you ducked down in the sage so that five point didn't pick you up was it after the five point went by that you kept your eyes on the five points head and you kind of got yourself to your knees and where you were going to shoot that bull from uh yeah so when the five bypassed me um you know and i'm not really twisting my head around i'm just letting my eyes do the work and I noticed he kind of, you know, went up past. But now I am lifting my head up a tad. Like, where is this six? He should be coming around the bend at any minute. And then, you know, you catch the tops of his horns coming. And then, okay, now it's like, then it's like crouch into position. You know, get on one knee as slowly as possible so the 5x5 five five doesn't see me. I mean, as slowly as possible. Because they're going to catch movement, right, over anything. So I got up, you know, crouched down onto one knee. So I went from side position, ducked down just slightly into my one knee stance. And then that's when he passed by and I was ready to execute a shot. And then you let him come by you before you drew your bow, where if you draw your bow when he's in front still coming at you, he's got more of a chance to see you, to mm -hmm. see you, because again, that's the tough thing with bow hunting is we have to draw our bow and that's movement. He can catch that movement, you know, so uh you waited till he got by you a bit and then all of a sudden he didn't have you in his peripheral vision his exactly. side vision where then you could draw your bow and make that shot so you did everything right and then executed a good shot let your pin settle and put it right where you wanted it and mm -hmm. came out with a nice six point in the end so oh, dude three weeks of hunting elk and a big six point on the ground it had to feel pretty good oh uh, it did you know bringing home that meat is is you know and it, my you know, I got a special shout out to my wife for giving me the opportunity to have this amount of time to, you know, hunt these elk. And, uh, you know, she, her one request was to bring home some summer sausage and pepperoni sticks. So it's like, you know, today before you drop me off at the airport, I'll be dropping off, you know, a good amount of meat to get, uh, get that process so yeah it, you know that's the least i could do dude it isn't just our our success like our support of our families you know you've got three kids at home uh you got a wife and she's managing everything while you're gone managing the household and so dude i'm with you it um it takes a strong wife to be able to manage things while you're gone and it takes the support of her like um you guys have to work as a team and like having i can't imagine having a wife that worked against me or that didn't want me out hunting or that you know 
I just see these relationships at times where the wife gets mad when the husband's hunting. It's got to be really tough for the husband to enjoy his time out there and to actually give it his all Uh, because, you know, he's got to be so worried about home and he's getting pressure from home. But having it the other way where you have this supportive wife that wants you to go out and have this good adventure and this good hunt that's happy for you, that takes on double the work of making sure kids are taken care of, ran around. Like it's just amazing to have that kind of support, you know, and in in turn, like I think it makes us want want to be better partners when we get home to help out more to to uh, uh, take our you took your family on this awesome Alaskan adventure this year where you guys all went out fishing to take them on these adventures to 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 return the favor to them you know to to want to be the the best husband you can be you know and I I think that just makes for a strong relationship but yeah without without the wife's support it would be um, it'd be tough to enjoy this thing it'd be tough to enjoy being away for three weeks wouldn't it. Definitely. Definitely. It's definitely a give and take, you know what I mean? Do everything you possibly can to make things good at home and then, and then, you know, then break out on your adventure and, you know, just having that peace of mind why you know, you can solely just focus on the hunt and not have to worry about other things going on at home is huge. Be immersed in the present moment, right? Yeah. Because if you're worried about home and your wife's doing or she's mad at you or you think you're going to get a divorce or whatever the case mm-hmm. is, you're not going to enjoy the hunt. You're going to be in your head the whole time. And yeah. and we've all been on hunts before where we have something else going on. Maybe not family issues, maybe not wife issues, but maybe work issues or bill issues or whatever the case is. And when you have that other stuff on your mind and you're, you're out like immersed in the woods, like it's almost like you can't get it out of your head. Like it just keeps replaying in there like a bad movie or something. Like you just keep replaying these problems and you can't do anything about it because you're in the woods and and what ends up happening is you enjoy you end up ruining your entire hunt because you're not enjoying yourself because you're not in the present moment because you're so worried about these problems you have. So having support and having things taken care of and a wife that'll take care of things at home and, and also just taking care of your responsibilities before you leave. Like I know you were painting like a madman mm-hmm. before you left trying to get your work done so you could be out here and not be worried about this job or be worried about uh, your client that has to move back into this house or whatever the case is like you work hard so that you can then enjoy your time off yep yeah definitely it's a big key to it mm-hmm. well dude um i couldn't be happier for you you're such a great bow hunter and i know that you love to hunt elk like uh you guys get a lot of access action which uh you absolutely love and i absolutely love they're so fun to hunt but uh every year you make your way out to the states and come hunt elk and you absolutely love it and so um so happy for you to see you be successful on a nice six point like that taking one back and man you earned them through both of your hunts you know 16 18 days three weeks however long you've been here man uh you have been immersed in the hunt it isn't easy is it a public land bowl it's not something where you can just go for five days and expect to shoot one like man you got to give it your all Mm -hmm. and you still might come home empty-handed even being a great hunter and hunting elk like you've got to have six eight nine years experience hunting elk now ten years experience hunting elk like you even become a really good elk hunter you can still eat your tag you can give it three weeks and still eat both your tags like it's never a given it's so difficult and that's why success odds run so low but uh sure makes it all worthwhile when it comes together no it sure does man it was it was a great time yeah well congratulations dude thanks for jumping on the podcast um we got to get your meat to the butcher shop get you to the airport get you taken off home but um thanks man i really enjoyed hanging with you thanks brian appreciate you
All right, guys, that's a wrap. Yeah, fun conversation with Sean. Um, gosh, he's just a, a great hunter and loves to hunt elk. And uh, had a heck of a trip and super pumped he was able to arrow that good bull and make it happen under tough conditions. So, um, yeah, really enjoyed the podcast. Hope you guys did, too. Uh, make sure to check out everything we've got going on at Eastman's. Also want to thank our sponsor for today's show, Savage. Uh, just building great rifles. Um, so impressed with that new 6.5 I have uh, that's all set up. Uh, thing that just shoot. So uh, if you're in the market for a new rifle, make sure to check them out. And, um, man, uh, coming down to the end of it here, it's uh, funny. The season uh, seems like it takes forever to get here, and then it comes and goes so quick. So we're um, through most of the elk seasons now, or at least all my elk seasons, and um, into to mule deer and hunting the rut. And, um, man, I just, uh, I've just i had some great trips out to some of my favorite honey holes and uh, been backpacking in, covering a ton of miles. Uh, been a weekend warrior, but um, that's okay, adding a Friday here or there and uh, trying to get after it. So, um, man, I just had some amazing trips and already had some great close encounters. And, um, yeah, I can't wait to share with you guys. And, um, man, just keep after it. Um, uh, I think uh, down to my last one or two hunts here, we'll see if I if I pull the trigger on a, a January hunt late season and head down to AZ or see what I do there. But, um, yeah, coming down to it. Uh, down to the end of season, but it sure has been fun. It's been an absolute riot, and uh, it's uh, we're so fortunate to be able to to have this backcountry hunting where we can really challenge ourselves mentally and physically, and uh, have goals and have drive, and um, you know it it just makes me a better human, and I just love it with every fiber of my being. And so um, I'm a, I'm a little nostalgic as it starts to get over here of all the good times I did have. Um, this hunt with Sean was one of them. And, um, man, just, uh, keep it pushing and, um, just want to, want to be the best bow hunter I can be and keep training hard. Um, man, it, it'll humble you too. That, that miss I had in Colorado, man, that one hurt, but, uh, it's, you know, you can't have the highs without the lows and, and, um, it's, it's just part of the game, you know? And so like, uh, you just have to be mentally tough and pick yourself up and get back after it. And, um, sure enough, able to arrow a good bull after that and, uh, have a good mule deer hunt here this late season. And, you know, it, uh, hard work pays off and, um, just got to keep after it. But I, I sure am having fun and get back to this podcast here and, um, I want to line up some new guests and, and, uh, bring you guys some good content and, um, yeah, just keep plugging away here. So, uh, thanks you guys for the support. I really appreciate you. And, um, man, that's an episode with that. I'll check in with you guys next week.